Hello and welcome to Books by Old Dead Guys. I'm David. And I'm Scott. And this is episode number 49. We're almost there, David. We're, we're almost, almost there. We're on the cusp. On the cusp of the big 5 I feel like something big is going to happen next week. Mm, it could be. Yeah. Well, I guess you'll have to wait and see. Come we'll back see. next week. There might be cake. Probably not. But <laughs> it could be. Could it's be. possible. Yeah. It's possible. Well, Scott, you want to catch us up to where we've been? So we are reading the book Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks. And uh, and I just said I have the easy job today because we've only made it nine pages in. Sort of. I mean, we did all the pages that weren't that don't have English numbers or Arabic numbers, whatever you want to say. We read the epistle dedicatory and talked a little bit about the life of Thomas Brooks. And then he, he began really with the the... The proof of the point, if you will, he, he's laid out how each chapter is going to be going to be looking for us, and he's going to talk through how he, he started out with the idea that 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 Satan is going to um, come into our lives in, in wily sort of ways, and he mm-hmm. kind of walked through different texts uh, that began what he was talking through, and now uh, we'll be moving into the devices that, that he uses to, as the chapter says, to draw the soul to sin. And so that's where, David, if you will, pick us up. We'll go from there. All righty. So Mr. Brooks writes, Now the second thing that I am to show you is his several devices. And herein I shall first show you the several devices that he hath to draw to the soul to sin. I shall instance in these twelve which may bespeak our most serious consideration. Device one, to present the bait and hide the hook. To present the golden cup and hide the poison. To present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin and by hiding from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. By this device he took our first parents, and the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods. Here is the bait, the sweet, the pleasure, the profit, O But he hides the hook, the shame, the wrath, and the loss that would certainly follow. There is an opening of the eyes of the mind to contemplation and joy, and there is an opening of the eyes of the body to shame and confusion. He promiseth them the former, but intends the latter. And so cheats them, giving them an apple in exchange for a paradise. And he deals with deals by thousands nowadays. Satan with ease puts fallacies upon us by his golden baits. And then he leads us and leaves us in a fool's paradise. He promises the soul honor, pleasure, profit, but pays the soul with the greatest contempt shame, and loss that can be. By a golden bait, he labored to catch Christ. He shows him the beauty and the bravery of a bewitching world, which doubtless would have taken many a carnal heart, but here the devil's fire fell upon wet tinder, and therefore took not. 
These tempting objects did not at all win upon his affections, nor dazzle his eyes, though many have eternally died of the wound of the eye, and fallen forever by this vile strumpet of the world, who, by laying forth her too fair breast of profit and pleasure, hath wounded their souls, and cast them down upon into utter perdition. She hath, by the glistening of her pomp and preferment, slain millions as the serpent Skytail, which, when she cannot overtake the fleeing passengers, doth with her beautiful colors astonish and amaze them, so that they have no power to pass away, till she have stung them to death. Adversity hath slain her thousand, but prosperity her ten thousand. Mm. So there's a principle that's that's at play in terms of reading books. And it's this. There's a lot of times we'll read a book like this and we'll read a section like this and we'll be like, man, like this is so relevant to our day. Mm-hmm. Like this is, you can read something and go, it's like he's writing it right now. And, and, and the underlying principle behind that is when you read something in an old book and it's relevant to today, it's not because it's relevant, it's because it's timeless. Yeah. And therefore, always relevant. And so what he's hitting at here is that the enemy strategy just has never changed, right? Yeah. Like he, he, he goes all the way back to the beginning of human history to show, hey, look, this, this idea of presenting the bait and hiding the hook has always been Satan's strategy. And you can see it in so many different ways. And he makes, he makes, a, he makes a good point, right? He promises yeah. them the former but attends the latter. He promises you that you're going to have pleasure. But, but he intends to destroy you with it. Yeah. And that's just always been the strategy. Yeah. Yeah, I love the way he puts it. He gives them an apple in exchange for a paradise. And then he... he in, Thomas just a great line. Thomas ends... He, it gets even better. He says, as he deals by the thousands nowadays. Mm-hmm. That back... That yep. Adam and Eve was just one example of something he does by the thousands now. now. Everywhere. Everywhere. All, all day time. long. Yep, absolutely. And so then, so then this whole section, that the, the sentence that's worth its weight in gold to me, adversity hath slain her thousand, but prosperity her ten thousand. Yeah. That he knows if he can lull the church, for instance, to sleep in comfort and prosperity, well, then he's, he's, he's accomplished his mission. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to use the word one because the enemy doesn't win. Satan doesn't win. But to, to have, to have accomplished his purpose of, of, of detracting from the glory of Christ and derailing the saints, all he's got to do is make us prosperous. Yeah, he's gotten what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so I think, I mean, it's, it's, this is just what he does now too, right? Yeah. It's what he has done throughout all of history. And so when you read, it's the value of reading an old book, right? When you, you read a book, it's like we said at the very beginning here, you read the book and you go, well, he still does it this way. Mm. Yep. Yes, he does. It's not new. Not new. Yeah. Some things never change. Truth is very old. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. it's good. All right. David, I'm curious if Mr. Brooks has a remedy for us. Oh, indeed he does. Does Rem- he really? Remedy number oh, one. Okay, here we go. First, keep at the greatest distance from sin and from playing with the golden bait that Satan holds forth to catch you. For this you have... Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. When we meet with anything extremely evil and contrary to us, nature abhors it and retires as far as it can from it. The Greek word 
that is there rendered abhor is very significant. It signifies to hate it as hell itself, to hate it with horror. Anselm used to say that if he should see the shame of sin on the one hand and the pains of hell on the other, and must of necessity choose one, he would rather be thrust into hell without sin than to go into heaven with sin. So great was his hatred and detestation of sin. It is our wisest and our safest course to stand at the farthest distance from sin, not to go near the house of the harlot, but to fly from all appearance of evil. The best course to prevent falling into the pit is to keep at the greatest distance. He that will be so bold as to attempt to dance upon the brink of the pit may find by woeful experience that it is a righteous thing with God that he should fall into the pit. Joseph keeps at a distance from sin and from playing with Satan's golden baits and stands. David draws near and plays with the bait and falls and swallows bait and hook with a witness. David comes near the snare and is taken in it to the breaking of his bones, the wounding of his conscience, and the loss of his God. Sin is a plague, yea, the greatest and most infectious plague in the world, and yet, ah, how few are there that tremble at it, that keep a distance from it. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? As soon as one sin had seized upon Adam's heart, all sin entered into his soul and overspread it. How hath Adam's one sin spread over all mankind? Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned, Ah, how doth the father's sin infect the child, the husband's infect the wife, the master's the servant. The sin that is in one man's heart is able to infect a whole world. It is of such a spreading and infectious nature. The story of the Italian who first made his enemy deny God and then stabbed him and so at once murdered both body and soul declares the perfect malignity of sin. And oh, that what hath been spoken upon his head may prevail with you to stand at a distance from sin. Hmm. Yeah, so, so, I mean, the first remedy is is not unlike how you keep from getting your hand burned off in a fire. You don't get near the fire. You just don't get near the fire. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) And yet, here we sit as humans. Mm. On the edge. Completely unwilling. You know, they're the best to me, the the best illustration of this in my mind is children. Mm. All children are naturally drawn toward whatever boundaries you put on them. Mm-hmm. Right? That's just the nature of the thing. If you say, don't go over and touch that wall, then they're going to stand within millimeters of that <laughs> wall with their hand as close to the wall as, as they, they can. possibly can. Yeah. Right. Because whatever boundaries we are given, we reject. Hence Genesis three, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the, the rebellious nature of humanity. And so he's saying, just don't get close to it. Like there's a, there's the thing there. If you know that going into this place is going to lead you into temptation, here's a novel idea. Don't. Don't go there. <laughs> huh. Yeah, if you know that, 
you know that watching this show on TV is going to lead you into sin. I've got an idea. Maybe don't watch the show on Maybe TV. Maybe don't watch the show. That's what I'm saying, Dave. <laughs> That's exactly Brooks's point. It, it seems simple. It is. It seems. It is. The problem is not that it's simple, right? The, the, mm. the, the problem is not that it's complicated. Mm. But man, uh, you know, I love it. What do you think about Anselm, old Anselm here? He I, said he would I rather thought... be thrust into hell without sin than to go into heaven with sin. So great was his hatred and detestation of sin. So I don't know a whole lot about Anselm, but that seems like a, a, a seems like a, a medieval thought experiment gone a little too far. Uh, good. <laughs> that, that would be a good assessment of, of most of Anselm of Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I know there were a number of a number of dear folks in the Middle Ages that just seemed to have far too much time on their hands and just pondered <laughs> pondered questions that were just probably too a little too deep for their depth. I'm so glad that this is a hypothetical. <laughs> I, I really am because that means I don't have to fall down on it. But I'm going to tell you what I I feel a growing hatred for sin in my life. I can't say <laughs> that. No, man, the fires. Nope. I'm, I'm spared from the fires of hell. Yes. Therefore, I have no desire to think about re-encountering the risk of the fires of hell. Let's just not go Let's there. Let's just not go there. How about we just hate sin? Yeah. Can we stick with that? Let's just stick with that. That's good. Well, let's hit another. All right. Is that the only remedy that no. we have in this book? No. But wait. But wait. There's more. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Remedy number two. Okay. To consider... That sin is but a bitter sweet. Mm. That seeming sweet that is in that seeming sweet that is in sin will quickly vanish. And lasting shame, sorrow, horror, and terror will come in the room thereof. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it still within his mouth, yet his meat in his bowels is turned. It is the gall of asps within him. Oh. Forbidden profits and pleasures are most pleasing to vain men who count madness mirth. Oh. Many long to be meddling with the murdering morsels of sin, which nourish not, but rend and consume the belly, the soul that receives them. Many eat that on earth which they disgust in hell. Sin's murdering morsels will deceive those that devour them. Adam's apple was a bitter sweet. Esau's mess was a bitter sweet. The Israelites' quails, a bitter sweet. Jonathan's honey, a bitter sweet. And Adonijah's dainties, a bitter sweet. After the meal is ended, then comes the reckoning. Men must not think to dance and dine with the devil and then to sup with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, to feed upon the poison of asps, and yet that the viper's tongue should not slay them. When the asp stings a man, it doth first tickle him, so as to make him, that is, it makes him laugh till the poison by little and little gets to the heart and then it pains him more than it ever delighted him. So doth sin. It may please a little at first, but it will pain the soul with a witness at last. Yea, if there were the least real delight in sin, there could be no perfect hell. 
where men shall most perfectly be tormented with their sin. Ooh, okay. So again, just timeless truth, right? That mm-hmm. the, the, the sweet that is in sin will quickly banish. Man, there's so many ways that you see this. See yes. this, you know, I've seen this a lot doing, um, doing addiction counseling in our community, especially. Like there's no real better description of the, the dangerous nature of addiction than that that it gives you this euphoria for a moment, mm-hmm. but then you're left with all the damaging outcomes of that. You know, adultery is the same sort of way. Yes. You know, that's that's why these you know, that's why these sins were, that's why the Catholic Church would have called them mortal sins, if you will, or deadly sins. But, you know, I, it's a, it's a truth that is good, that's a good warning Right to, to to think about the outcome of what you're doing at the at the beginning of, of the doing it. I'm trying to figure out how to explain, but to you know that that for the Christian, for the one who matures in Christ, to be able to look into temptation and go, this seems like it's going to be pleasurable on the beginning, hmm. but what is the outcome of this thing? Hmm. There's a mature manhood involved in this, right? Like think about the difference between for for us, you know, the difference between a boy and a man, a boy. Will jump head first into something and not count the cost, right? Mm-hmm. He'll he'll just dive in and go for the pleasure on the front end and come out on the back end with misery. But as you grow into manhood, part of your job, even as you lead your family, is to look at what's going to happen on the other side of this decision. What's yeah. going to happen on the other side of this thing? And that doesn't begin with the way you deal with other people's lives. It begins with the way you deal with your own. Yeah, you know that I love Krispy Kreme donuts. Mm. I do. I love donuts of any kind, but Krispy Kreme are, are especially dear to my heart. And, you know, I, I one is fine. There's nothing wrong with eating one. Twelve is not fine. Mm. And what is the outcome of eating twelve? You know, it takes me all of ten minutes to eat them, and then I reap the benefits of those things for days and years to come. You know, there's mm. so many different areas of our lives where you see this, but it's just totally true. Although I don't know, I'm just going to be honest with you, David. I I don't know a whole lot about asps or snakes at, at all, but I don't know of any snakes that first tickle us and make us laugh. <laughs> I get his illustration. Yeah, it's a, it's. A, yeah. I feel like he. It's not a science book. Yeah, not a not a not, not a book a, on science. Not a book on animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I do know. Now I haven't had that experience with cats. <laughs> That they will play with their food. The, the, well, they'll, they'll play with you at first. Like you're like, oh, you're you're petting the cat. Mm. Cat's all nice. And you're like, oh, this is a sweet cat. And then bam, bam. Next thing you know, it's, it's over. like biting your face off. That's, that's why dogs are better than cats. <laughs> but so I, so I can relate it to snakes. Can relate it to can cats. relate it to cats. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> All right, oh, so we got man. two remedies. Two remedies. To this problem of... We'll probably get the next two remedies next time. Oh, I bet we will. Yeah. I bet we will. All right, well... We'll continue on. Well, next time will be episode 50. 50. The Big five O. The Big five O. How mm. about that? Well, thank you so much for listening. It's been a blessing to be able to walk through this part of this book, and we'll look forward to doing this again next week. Goodbye.